I'm Dr. Jill Wiener. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice, to provide a nuanced, honest, and educational examination of systemic racism. And I am so excited to have the power trio from Pittsburgh, the, the brain and the brawn and the beauty and all the things behind EARN, the Executive Action Response Network. I've interviewed all three of these amazing people before uh, individually, but their work needs more attention. And so I invited them all back to speak with me about the EARN mission and anything else that comes up. So, so, so excited to have you all back here with me today. Um, maybe introduce yourself um, briefly and uh, your role in EARN, if that is even, I don't even know if you have formalized that, but um, George, let's start with you. Sure, thanks, Jill. And uh, thank you for having our colleagues on this call today. I'm George Robinson, uh, one of the co-founders of EARN. Uh, in my nine to five, I am the Director of Supplier Diversity and Inclusion for the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Uh, and fortunately, uh, that level and body of work helps to cross over into the, the mission ethos and effort uh, within the Executive Action and Response Network. So glad to be here today uh, back with you uh, and your listening audience. Thanks for being here, George. Um, Jessica. Can you talk a little bit about who you are and what brought you here? Sure. Well, happy to be here. Thanks for having me back. And I am a healthcare executive and change agent here in Pittsburgh. I uh, lead a healthcare coalition called the Pittsburgh Business Group One Health. It's one of the uh, largest coalitions in the country, employer-led, focused on realizing healthcare value on behalf of millions of lives from a cost-quality access and equity perspective. I also am a, an entrepreneur. I have a startup organization called Inspireware, um, which is a radical, transparent, and accountable organization that leverages technology to empower the most vulnerable and marginalized uh, communities from a healthcare perspective and a well-being perspective. Uh, I am a co-founder of EARN, um, and uh, no official titles outside of that, just putting my heart all into it and my purpose all into ensuring that we are realizing a true quality of life and empowerment and economic viability for African Americans. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Jessica. And Martin, how about you? Martin Shepard, I'm founder and CEO of ARC Access Control. ARC converges cybersecurity and physical security solutions uh, for organizations in the critical infrastructure. Uh, I'm a co-founder uh, as well of EARN, of course, with, with these wonderful folks. Uh, Jessica said it, there are no titles beyond that. We wear many hats simultaneously. We switch hats, we trade hats. Uh, but uh, we are all committed to the work of elevating uh, Black people in the United States of America and beyond. Wow, wonderful. So, hmm, so many questions. Uh, Jessica, like, what was the moment you knew that these two were the, the people you were going to uh, change the world with? 
The moment I knew these were the two um, was when we went clay shooting. Of course. Of course. Obviously. <laughs> so we the clay shooting. No, it was clay shooting. Yeah, clay shooting. We clay shooting. Um, I was happened to be the token woman on the invite um, that I volunteered. Uh, and and um, I'm grateful I did. So we volunteered. It was uh, I volunteered. My husband was able to fill in for another one of our classmates who um, we were on an executive leadership program together the prior year. And uh, George had invited uh, several of us to go clay shooting. And my husband was able to be a proxy given that one person dropped out. So after each shoot, literally getting back into um, our, our uh, golf our carts, we were literally talking about um, the state of Black America, the pain of um, witnessing the murder of George Floyd. And it was very real to us. Um, it was um, raw at, still at, at that time. And at the same time, we were being organized through this executive program that we were in to talk about our feelings, um, which many of us um, in this country Black professionals have been found ourselves in in the summer months. How, how are you feeling? What can we do? What can you do to help us do? And so um, in one of those sessions, it became clear that uh, we needed to have a incorporate as Black people. That's all I kept hearing um, that led from the theme of our clay shooting. And then that moment, I said, Black people need to incorporate. And we need to have a statement that um, Black professionals in particular need to incorporate. And we need to have a statement um, that represents our voice in this. And um, how do we do that? And so called George and Martin out. And then we had a, a call. I think within 24 hours, George was like, all right, now we got to talk about this. What are we going to do? And, and at that call and that, at that very moment, we made decisions. And we worked on a statement and formalized rather rapidly after that. So, so Jill, I'll tell you, we, we talked about this a little bit um, and I made it sound like I was really, you know, refined and dignified throughout this whole process. I was completely frustrated by everything, right? You know, there was a lot of emotion uh, that spilled out of the George Floyd incident on the back of COVID, on the back of Rihanna Taylor, you know, uh, so many things uh, sort of converging in, in one place. Jessica was was crystal clear on uh, a couple of things. You got it. We got to incorporate. We have to incorporate, meaning we have to organize something that is a legal structure that, that binds us together. She was very clear on that. She was also very clear that there was energy in the street and that we had to put our energy into something that could help the people who were in the street, right? Um, and those, I, I think those two thrusts really help us uh, get our minds around what to do uh, to bring together an organization. So uh, kudos to, to Jessica for having the, the vision uh, and clarity uh, to kind of rally us, you know. And, and if I could also add to that, uh, yes, I was the person that provided the, the invitation for the clay shoot. And, you know, one of the things that we, we talked about. And the best shooter, too, by the way. Said it again? <laughs> the best shooter also. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one, one of the things that, you know, our coursework uh, uh, brought to, to highlight uh, specifically and, and generally is the fact of, you know, Black self-care. 
uh, you know, for me to enable uh, African-American professionals to go to something typically, you know, black folks aren't going to clay shoots uh, to, to get out of the, the city and, and being in an environment where we could have that conversation, uh, a successful conversation uh, around an activity that just does not really like occupy your mind. You know, one of the key things that, you know, we've looked at uh, across the years is just this black trauma around different events that are happening, you know, and how our bodies are digesting it. And so, you know, fortunately we have this, this opportunity to, to get out of town, uh, to let our hair down and just really start having the serious conversation around, you know, so what are we going to do? Uh, you know, we saw this void within our community, uh, this lack of voice. Uh, there were pockets of energy, but there just wasn't like a committed voice specifically around the, the African-American executive uh, and the corporate structures across our community. And so, you know, that provided the opportunity for uh, that, that level of dialogue. And much like Martin said, you know, Jeff, Jessica's energy around building something solid, building something concrete, uh, drove us and, and, and guided us to, uh, you know, where we are today in terms of incorporation uh, uh, and having business structure and business model around it. Yeah, which is, which is always uh, with startups, it's always a, a work in progress. Uh, and we are iterating and uh, responding uh, even as we we speak here, um, the interesting thing, real super interesting thing, not to hijack the interview, Joe, but the, <laughs> the super interesting thing, if you think about it, just listening to George talk and going back to that moment, you start thinking, who is the voice of black executive corporate America, right? Like, I mean, there there are, is an organization that I mean, I could I could mention and and. Uh, the folks on the, the podcast might agree with that, um, but it is uh, fairly singular and uh, that, that the leadership and, and uh, the vision and organization around uh, Black professionals um, and Black executives in corporate America uh, is something that you don't typically hear as a constituent voice. You don't really hear much said about that. So in, in that way, uh, we, we feel like this is cutting edge. Uh, we're doing something that, of course, needs to be done, but we're doing something uh, that is cut from whole cloth. You know, we're, we're stepping out. Um, okay. Again, so many, so many great things to talk about. So thank you for those answers. And I love the way in life, I don't know if you felt something when you were, when you were clay shooting together, but yes. looking back, it's such a great story. You know, it's just so, you know, George making the, making it all happen, the, the event, and then you going as the token woman, and then you guys go and there's this synergy and everything's building and building and out comes this incredible organization. I love story. I love the synchronicity. I love how it all comes together exactly the way, um, exactly the way it's supposed to um it seems kind of predestined in a way and 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 almost wondering how how, how did this not exist before that's how solid well, well, you know the, the the funny thing about it is when you talk about how did this not exist before and of course you know this conversation will will change as say if you were interviewing someone in a different city in a different geography with a different level of energy around community 
But, you know, in terms of, of, of Black Pittsburgh, which I'm not from Pittsburgh, but I've been here for eight years, uh, and just seeing how the community communicates, uh, yes, you know, you, you have these pockets of communication, but you're, you're not necessarily seeing the linkages across the communication converting to organization, converting to action items and things of that nature. You know, you have a lot of pockets of people talking. Yeah. Um, and right now, considering everything that's going on, you know, even pre-COVID, pre-election, uh, just within this community, you, you had several layers of communication, but there wasn't a thread that could bind those communications into synergistic action, incorporation, uh, uh, and strategy. And so, uh, depending on the geography, you know, if you interviewed someone out of, you know, say Atlanta or Houston or Chicago or Nashville or Austin, Texas or LA, you know, you might get a, a different level of, of response. Uh, oddly enough, I'm finding where uh, the conversation is expanding across the country. Uh, where smaller groups are now turning into larger groups, are, are turning into, you know, strategy uh, uh, determining bodies, leaning on, you know, certain social agency. But, you know, it, it really took the inertia of the snowball of all of these things that are happening within our community to really begin to wake the sleeping community, the sleeping giant. You know, you, you had several people that were, I'll call it woke, so to speak, trying to make change. But now it seems like with this uh, imperfect but perfect storm that we're going through, you're seeing more and more people speak truth to power, organize, incorporate. And uh, we just so happen to be the, the lucky three amongst our, our colleagues in the executive education course that said, hey, we, we're going to move the needle. You know, we're not just going to look at the needle, hope and pray that the needle moves. We, we have to do something. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, that's the most significant thing, right, guys? I, we know that there's a lot of talk. There's always been a lot of talk. Um, this is not about talk. Uh, this is about a righteous mission to uh, correct things that are wrong uh, and bring equity in places uh, that have been long starved uh, for equitable treatment of, of uh, Black folks in, in corporate spaces. Um, that's who that's who we are at our essence. Um, and uh, you know that it's 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 oddly enough. Uh, I think we came together uh, through this, and it's, it is a fantastic story. And it is. I think I said this to you yesterday, Jill. Um, I think before we came together for this, we recognized, you know, the commonality just in, in terms of worldview um, and how we saw things uh, even before we, we really organized. Um, but uh, we, we're at the, the stage in this fight where uh, I think all of us see that there is a major road forward for us to, to win, uh, but without organization, uh, you, you just, you, you can't get anywhere. Uh, you, you have to have, I, I met, uh, 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 rest in peace, I met Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture, uh, 
right after the, the riots in Cincinnati in 1999, 2000, whenever it was. Um, and uh, his advice uh, for the young folks, I was young back then, uh, his advice for the young folks was, uh, the only thing I tell you you must do is organize. Everything else, uh, you know, you can talk, you can plan, you can do it. You got to organize people. Uh, and uh, I think uh, that that being our initial first step uh, was, was a good first step uh, to, to get organized, uh, get our vision together. I don't know if, Jill, if, if we share with you uh, our vision document, mm -hmm. uh, get our, our vision together. Yeah. Uh, and and then really start to expand our footprint by bringing in membership, offering services uh, to the corporate community, um, and uh, driving accountability uh, to the corporate community. So, um, yeah. Jessica, how have you? Because it's from from what George and Martin are saying, you were kind of the you were the voice that was like incorporate. Let's get this done. So, what what has it been like for you all getting this out there? What has been your this isn't a, 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 what is this called? A podcast. This is not a podcast on, <laughs> on marketing, but I'm curious to know what you've done to get the word out there and, and what has the response been? Um, so Jessica, if you don't mind. Sure. The, well, the first order of business, we knew it was clear. I mean, incorporate was one, but simultaneously, what is our voice? How do we bring um, life to our voice and what does that look like? And we decided to write a letter. Um, many, and this was in conjunction with a lot of statements and letters um, being put in print and, and through uh, the internet from corporations to community organizations um, and variety of different stakeholders um, in our community, white and black. Um, and, but we didn't see that representation of uh, the black professional. We saw a lot of articles about your black professionals are not okay headlines and articles about what they were going through and um, how stressed out and the mental burden. But we wanted to have a level of empowerment hmm. and strength in that letter and um, comprehensive enough that we felt comfortable that it actually represented the voice of the majority of us in, in corporate America. And um, again, to Martin's point, to ensure that the work of on the ground uh, protesters and activists weren't, wasn't in vain, however, it had its limitations. And how do we not only benefit, be a benefactor of their work, but actually take what we know from an acumen and strategy perspective and, and put that into action that can, can, that can go further. So we wrote a letter. That was our first order of value. We literally um, got together at Martin's um, HQ, we call Martin's place, and, um, and started drafting and drafting. And to be honest, um, it, it, took, it took a few weeks, um, several weeks. And in the middle of those weeks, we began to, to, begin to hear from um, the Black professional voice of different organizations here regionally. And even nationally, we started to hear um, over that time. And we even questioned at one point, well, is our letter still relevant? And that delayed us a day or two while we deliberated. Um, and then we got back, our heads back on straight and said, yes, our, our voice and our letter is still very relevant. Um, we have to make it sure that it's strong, um, not politically correct, um, but creates a, a shift in the atmosphere for every reader who has access to it. So we wrote the letter 
and we we uh, leveraged a, a communications firm to uh, get that letter out to the media, and the media picked up on it, and at, um, week after week, sometimes multiple times in a week, we had interviews with the local uh, newspapers, uh, the the TV television stations. I think we've pretty much been on every television station. Um, uh, George has done radio, a radio interview. I mean, all within a matter of two to three weeks. And again, uh, we were just asked uh, just last week uh, for comment and an article in the Business Times as a result of the presidential uh, election. Mm. And so um, the community and the media has responded uh, to it and has, um, and then we've had many people share the articles that have come out. We also shared the letter with the members of the executive cohort we were in and that organization at CMU at Carnegie Mellon University, we felt that it wasn't critical that our peers who we who ultimately were here to serve um, had an opportunity to see the letter and get that insight first and foremost before anyone else. Mm -hmm. And um, that was our first order of action once we had the letter before media um, actually had, had access to it. Uh, the reaction has been interesting. I, I would say, um, and, and then George also led making sure that the top 50 organizations within our region got a hand mailed letter. So they had to open it up, fill it, um, read it. So the top 50 largest organizations in our region, CEOs um, also received the letter directly. Right, Cor corporations and organizations, yeah, yeah. publicly yeah. traded and, and uh, private and non-profit. Yes, so that's how we got, we got it out. Um, and the reaction has been interesting. I can say um, corporate America has so overall been pretty quiet. Um, we, we haven't heard a lot from the largest organizations. We've heard quite a bit um, from, interestingly, from community stakeholders, mostly a lot of them white men, older, who are investors or venture capitalists or you know, serial entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs, who entrepreneurs, serial, entrepreneurs yeah. who want to put investment behind a, a cause and they want to see movement um, in the in the short term. Um, we've also heard from nonprofits. So we have heard from um, nonprofits and more, more mid-sized organizations, CEOs. Power saw, brokers outside of the region, Jessica. Yeah, yeah, power brokers outside the region, Silicon Valley to be exact. Um, we have, our peers, however, have a little been, been quite hesitant to fully embrace the movement. Um, they uh, got quiet or were clear on the fact that they wanted to, they wait and see, or they didn't support our direction. And that I would say, um, did throw us back a little bit as far as, uh, we expected why? I don't know. I guess we expected more support from our peers, Black people who were trying to help and advocate for, but ultimately understood their position, being in corporate America, the organizations that we're putting pressure on. Um, so it's like, you're in this pressure cooker, you're in it, we're putting pressure on it, and what is that going to do to you and your experience um, while, you're, while we're, you know, outside cooking up putting the heat under your organization. Yeah. So we understand that and we, we understand we have to, to walk through the process and, and stay our course. Um, but it's been an interesting reaction. Yeah, and, and again, it, it just goes back to, you know, what I was saying, Jill, when you look at different geographies and, and their corporate cultures, 
uh, within those geographies, you'll see a different level of uh, reaction to this level of communication, this level of energy. Uh, you know, as Jessica said, uh, we've had sort of a, a mixed review uh, and response uh, surrounding the, this this cult, the, the corporate conversation that we were bringing to the table. Uh, I just recently had a conversation with a, a former uh, chief financial officer of a, a major organization surrounding EARN. And, and one of the things that uh, this individual said was, you know, uh, uh, we, we want to put the past in the past and, uh, you know, not uh, point fingers at folks and lay blame. And, you know, all that stuff was in the history. What we're trying to figure out is what are we going to do moving forward? And unfortunately, uh, you know, far that's the old playbook. That's the well, old playbook. Well, 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 unfortunately, the whole thing is, as a part of old playbook, you know, if you don't understand the history, you're bound to repeat it. Yeah. And unfortunately, you have different geographies that are okay with repeating history, meaning repeating it from a generational standpoint. Yeah. You know, one of the driving forces around the creation of Earn. And you know this is a, a very a sentimental piece in the conversation is the fact that we are doing this for our children's future. You know, trying to build a different community for our children to live, grow, thrive, and take full advantage of all of the opportunities that are availed to their non-African American colleagues. And so, you know, considering the level of mute voice within Pittsburgh, uh, Martin and I not being from Pittsburgh, so we can always throw that up. You know, we're from different areas where it's totally different conversation and, and corporate uh, response has been different. We, we have to get behind this if we're gonna make change within this region. Uh, we, we just cannot allow there to be this recycle of policy, of practice, uh, complacency, uh, and, and other things around that whole space of I'm giving up and I'm just going to agree with the status quo if we're going to make change here. Uh, one of the key things I had to let that, that former CFO know is, you know, you have to understand that you're talking about meeting the rubber to the road. Well, unfortunately for most uh, African-American professionals, the rubber meeting the road is the Mayflower truck pulling off with their housewares moving to another city. That's where the rubber's meeting the road around here. It's not how are we, you know, preparing elevation and, and promotion tracks, expanding social capital for individuals, expanding networks, and just driving and pushing a level of accountability across HR departments within the, the corporate sphere here in Pittsburgh to just change the level of dynamics around recruitment, attraction, retention, promotion, and elevation of African-American professionals here. And, and Jill, so, so to be clear, right, Pittsburgh is a unique place, a lovely place uh, in many ways, uh, but in many ways in this discussion, uh, on this particular subject matter, very challenging and challenged place, right? Mm -hmm. um, these problems, and I'm, I'm gonna push it a little bit, uh, George, these problems exist everywhere. I don't care if you're in Chicago or Atlanta or DC, these, these same problems still exist where 
the representative group of leadership within these corporate organizations does not match or mix the demographic uh, population or the percentage of people who uh, are amongst the general population there. Pittsburgh just happens to be one of the worst. We talked about it before, mm -hmm. uh, Jill, uh, the, the gender equity uh, study out of the University of Pittsburgh. Um, I don't know uh, I, I, well, I have some idea because we, we are familiar with the professor who conducted the study, uh, what the original impetus for the study was, but what came out of the study was this is the worst of 25 major metropolitan areas in the United States 89. for black people to live. Was it 89? I thought it was, I thought it was the top 25. Okay, so 89. 89 comparable me. cities. 89 comparable cities, right? And this is the worst for black people to what we have started to call thrive, but ultimately this is the worst for you to exist in. Like yeah. healthcare, access to healthcare, education, access to education, uh, opportunity, economic opportunity, upper mobility. This is the worst of all of those places to be. Um, so we speak on Pittsburgh and we are earn, this is the earn Pittsburgh organization uh, we are all very clear that this is an organization that has a membership model uh, that goes to a national level and uh, touches and, and reaches all the geography and, and particularly places uh, that are hubs for uh, Fortune 500 type organizations, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, Pittsburgh is just a, a uniquely challenging place, the worst <laughs> in many objective regards. Uh, but this is the United States of America. 73 million people just voted for a um a, a strong a would-be strongman racist that's the country that we live in uh some places are better than others but that's the country that we live in there's a lot of work to do around giving uh black leaders in the corporate space access to opportunities access to capital uh so on and so forth can can you all i want to shift gears a little bit um i'd love to know more about the app that you all are implementing um and I don't actually know, Just, uh, Jessica, you mentioned an app at the beginning. I don't know if that's the same app that you're using, but can, I'm not sure exactly who to direct this question to. Martin's face seemed to light up big when I just asked it, but um, can you talk about the app and how it fits in with the EARN um, mission um, and implementation? Jessica. Sure, so in our letter, we uh, had shared a variety of different recommendations, um, ranging from the elevation and recruitment and retention of black talent to um, actually uh, increasing your spend with African-American organizations to addressing pay equity and health equity to a level of we need a measurement and transparency. And so we encouraged um, the organizations in our region to leverage existing measurement tools through, from a separate organization um, called Vibrant Pittsburgh. They have a measurement tool that uh, is already out there, surveys. We do um, believe and, and encourage people to continue to leverage that tool. However, it is not designed with the African-American empowerment um, and elevation and equity in mind only, right? It's a very broader diversity inclusion tool and it has its place. And so what we are aiming to do is secure a mechanism to elevate the actual um, well-being and well-doing of African-Americans now with our aim to thriveability. And how do you know if you're getting to thriveability if we don't understand how people are living today? 
And so we, um, through uh, the organization I lead, Inspireware, we have an app um, called Our Balance through that organization. Earn is leveraging that and has white labeled it um, to have a representation of Black professional well-being in Pittsburgh. So we are um, the only institution and organization, to my understanding, definitely in this region, but I believe in the country, that has um, and will be continued to begin to evolve a pulse on the well-being of Black professionals. How are we working? How are we spending our time socially? Are we able to get activity in play? Are we sleeping? And um, so that's one thing you can go to uh, the earnpittsburgh.com website right now and actually see how Black professionals are doing right now in Pittsburgh from a livability perspective. Um, in addition to that, our aim is to uh, have a, a more accountable and transparent tool that provides um, opportunities for Black professionals to have input. So that the, our balance um, tool, the Black professional pulse is anonymous. It's, you don't have to input anything. It basically goes with you. It, it through an app on your phone, as long as you have your phone with you, it kind of can, it gets smarter over time and can track those, those four quadrants I mentioned. However, the other tool that's in development will allow for input, bottom-up input from Black professionals and top-down input from their corporate CEOs and organizations. Taking the idea of the CSR reports, these corporate responsibility reports that corporations provide um, out a year after the activities are done and giving them the ability to actually put in their commitments, their time, their um, dollars to anti-racism activity make that visible. And so this platform will allow them to say, hey, we want to pledge $100 million to anti-racism in these categories to address, if they're a bank, redlining and loans and the, you know, and the oppression that we've caused um, in the history of banking. We want to do something about that and we want to do this. And we want to ensure that we increase Black people at our board of director level and our ranks um, in our C-suite. You know, those kind of things um, we want to support HBCUs, whatever education, whatever it may be, we can make that visible. And that's what EARN aims to do. And then the bottom up is, hey, employees, you see the commitments. They're no longer hidden. Is this happening? Mm. And you validate that you're seeing these shifts in culture happening. These commitments are, are actually translating into the culture and your well-being in that organization and your welcome well, being welcomed in that organization, you actually being included um, strategically, are you being elevated? Are you being, um, or, or are you still being oppressed? And this is good for headlines. Yeah, and so and we're yes, looking to bring visibility to that. If, if, if I can, and, and that's such a key, that's a key, key point. Like, listen, it's one thing to commit something. It's one thing to follow through on the commitment. If it's not changing this the status quo, for your black employees and those pipelines within your leadership uh, groups and pipelines up that leadership ladder, um, then we need to know that, right? So you you can craft policy, right? There, there's game always uh, in play. You can craft policy, you can give money uh, and it still not be hitting the places that it needs to hit. And so as Jessica mentioned, the, the bottom up component of our accountability tool is designed to be able uh, to to poll, to survey uh, people within these organizations to see what their experience is, right? It's important that we get uh, the top-down commitments and we hold people accountable. And that's a valuable tool for those organizations just to have a place 
uh, to be able to to manage that accountability. Um, but from the bottom up, uh, what are the what are the people on the ground experiencing? Is their life changing? Are they still being held responsible or accountable for uh, for black life within the organization? Uh, are they being burdened or overburdened uh, by by some of the issues uh, that encounter black people socially uh, within their roles and jobs within their organizations? And if so, we need to know that, right? And uh, the tool the tool is uh, very strategically designed to be able to capture both of those sort of metrics. Yeah, ultimately, it's empowerment, and you, you know, we've had many conversations, even with our mentors. Um, who have been there, done that on, uh, on the other side of the, the country. And we can see how, when we talk about this, if you're a corporate CEO, that you might be like, oh, I don't want that level of accountability and transparency. But at the same time, if you're making a billion dollar commitment, multi-billion dollar commitment, Jamie Dimond and uh, Bank of America and Bill Demchak at PNC Bank, why wouldn't you want that to be visible? Why wouldn't you want the community, your stakeholders, your shareholders, your customers, your workforce to know that you are living up to those promises and also get the feedback if it's not translating. You're making these major investments in a variety of different ways, your resources, more volunteer time, actual dollars, and then you really don't wanna know if it's, if it's translating into how people resonate and align with your organization. Why wouldn't you want that? And we do believe that there are going to be some leaders who do want that. And then once they step up, others will follow. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be punitive. Um, transparency doesn't have to be punitive. It can be, for sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's reputational. I mean, that's the thing. It's reputational. If you said you're going to do something, Jamie Dimon and Bill Demchek, they want to be known as people who have done what they said that they're going to do, right? Full stop. And people, to Jessica's point, there are other leaders in corporate America who aspire to be like those guys, right? Um, and if those guys are being held accountable, uh, then uh, presumably other uh, uh, men and women uh, would want that same level of transparency to be projected from their organization uh, and to be held accountable at that same type of, of, of standard uh, that those organizations are. And I just think I think we are entering, we're dawning into a new day in this country. It's either going to be golden or it's going to be bad, right? Yeah. Um, and, if, and to the extent that it is golden, uh, it means that the people who have borne the brunt of harsh labor, the people who have borne the brunt of, uh, of inequity and of an underclass social circumstance based upon uh, superficial characteristics, of melanin in their skin, right? Those people are going to be lifted into positions of helping guide this country to a better place, period, end of discussion. And I think leaders with visionary leaders of these big organizations, they understand that. I don't think it's a big sale for, for, for them. I think they get that already, right? Um, and I think that, that uh, they sign up for this type of an effort uh, in order to show that they get it and in order for us to be able to have a mechanism to say, hey, you, you got it, but not quite, right? This is, this is beyond just throwing a million dollars at the local chapter of XYZ. Um, this is throwing a million dollars at, at something to see a tangible, measurable outcome at the, at the end. 
uh, we, we are, the three of us are executive leaders. Uh, if it, if it doesn't result in the outcome that we can measure, uh, then it didn't do nothing. <laughs> we we got to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> Not just your influence and your, your role in, in, in society and your voice, but it's also your business expertise and you're applying that you're not just like we're making change but it's i mean what you're saying here my brain can't even because i don't have the business mind all the levels of of data and measurement and transparency that you're building in is so genius and it's so great that you're building that in from the from the ground up so that um so that that's part of it moving forward and you don't have to look back and be like, Oh, I wish we had done this or I wish we had actually gotten data. You're getting the data because you're executives and, and doing it in a way that is going to, you know, that mind and you know, the mind of the people that you're trying to reach. So um, I do, I want to talk to you all forever, but it is Friday afternoon and I'm presumably we all have um, other things to do, although I can't imagine anything more lovely than speaking with you. I would like to make sure we have time to talk about how people can find you. Um, how, if, if I know you have a mailing list, so if you can talk about that, we have just a couple more minutes. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the easy way is info at earnpittsburgh.com. Okay. Uh, you can definitely connect with each of us uh, via LinkedIn. We actually have a uh, Earn Pittsburgh LinkedIn page. Uh, you can connect with us individually on our individual LinkedIn pages. Um, and, and really, uh, we want to thank your listeners. We want to thank your audience. Uh, hopefully, those individuals that are intrigued by what we've been talking about, they ask questions. They find out ways uh, uh, that they can interact with us. Uh, but again, the, the info at earnpittsburgh.com uh, email address would be best. And then, of course, always connecting with us on LinkedIn. Uh, guys, I'm not sure if you have any other. Uh, Our website, the biggest call to action is go to www.earnpittsburgh.com. Actually sign up. If there's a form there. Um, if you're black, uh, download the Our Balance, the app. That The link is on there so you can join the black professional community. You do not have to be in Pittsburgh. Um, and uh, if you're not black and you want to be an ally or an advocate, uh, please sign in and, and those options are there for you. We, we want, this is a community effort. And so we want everyone at the table who wants to be at the table to move this forward. So we're looking for volunteers. We're looking for supporters, um, encouragers, because this is our lives. This isn't just a project. Um, this is impacting us today and it's impacting our future um, and our kids. And as George mentioned, so we need the encouragement and the support um, and we also need your expertise and your skill set. So if you're willing to get dirty with us and get your hands in and do, get in some good trouble, then um, please join us and you could do that at our website. Right. And, and don't be shy. We, we accept donations as well. So because, you know, all of these movements, they take a myriad of, of inputs. And one of those definitely is financial support. Uh, you know, this is a very huge shoulder and burden to, to tow, but we also understand what's on the other side of, of this effort. And so, uh, as Jessica said, we invite you to our website uh, as well as email. Great. Thank you so much to all of you for being here. Jessica Brooks, George Robinson, Martin Shepard, thank you, thank you um, for all the work you do. Um, I like, feel like I should disclose the fact that I work with you. I think we've talked about this in all the separate interviews. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. And I are, are, are 
your anti-racism training team. So I, I have a I have a vested interest in your success, but but that success is the bigger success. It is not it is not um, any any personal thing. But we we all believe in each other so much, which I think is what's so great about the relationship. Um, and um, just really looking forward to seeing where everything goes and um, and and the lives that are going to be the lives and the cultures I think that are going to be in the systems that are they're going to be changed. They're already being changed uh, by by your work. So. Thank you all. Um, I'll put all your information and, and links in the show notes and um, have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you.